Welcome. That's pretty loud. Um, how you guys? Sorry. We usually don't start off that awkward, do we? Just a tad. It just boomed, didn't it? It just kind of shot out. Anyway, welcome. Those of you watching online, welcome Chicago cohort. It's good to be with you this afternoon. Today, Pastor Joe is out of town uh, with his family, and I will be preaching to you. I will not be continuing in the book of Romans. Pastor Joe will resume that next week. They'll be, he'll be going through Romans 9. Um, he asked me to share a word with you. He didn't give me any specific parameters. And so my word for you today is stay hungry. Everyone say, stay hungry. I want to share with you what is the key to perseverance, fruitfulness, and satisfaction in the Christian life, and I won't even charge you for it. Praise the Lord. You don't have to go to my conference or buy my book or buy my tape to hear this because it's in the Word of God, and the Word of God is free for all. Amen? Amen. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, the key to perseverance, fruitfulness, and satisfaction so that 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, you're still blowing and going for the Lord. You love God more than you did yesterday. You're blessed. Your family's blessed. Everything you put your hand to is blessed, as if you had the spiritual Midas touch. You know, everything you do for the Lord, He blesses it, and you are satisfied in life. No regrets. How can we have that kind of life? You know, when I was in your shoes and Pastor Joe was speaking to, to myself and to my peers, he shared a lot of horror stories about pastors who blew it big time. And since that, that was a number of years ago that I would hear those stories, and it would scare the hell out of me. But the stories have only increased over the years, and now even pastors are committing suicide. They're so burned out. They're so empty. They're so destroyed. Is that the, is that the lot in life of a Christian? Is that normative? Is that what a man or a woman of God should be experiencing? Such an emptiness, such a darkness, such a despair, such an anxiety? Is that what the Bible says? Or does it say that He gives us abundance of life? Does it say that He gives us peace beyond our understanding? You know? Does it say that He, he gives us joy and He fills our hearts with His love? How can that coexist? Well, friends, I think we're doing something wrong here. And so I want to share with you a key. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, one of the Beatitudes says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. How do I know this is a key to success in the Christian life? Well, first of all, it says, blessed are. And the word blessed means happy. Some translations even go all the way just to say, happy are those, so on and so forth, in the Beatitudes, in place of blessed. Because you are happy if you are hungry, according to this beatitude here. And it says also that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So if I am hungry and I am thirsty for righteousness, I'm two things. I'm, 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 I'm happy and I'm filled. Because when I hunger and thirst for God, God always, His heart is eager to satisfy my soul. He's eager to give me what I want. As the word says, Matthew 7, 7, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So when I hunger and thirst and I pursue God for what I want and what I need from Him for righteousness. And in, in the way that Matthew uses this word 
is interesting. For example, later on in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 6.33, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. When he's baptized in chapter 3, he says to John, this must be done to fulfill all righteousness. And so it would appear like this is God's plan. In other words, these are the things of God. I am hungry for the things of God. Does that make sense? I am hungry not only to experience more of God's love and power in my life, I am hungry to see his kingdom come upon the earth. I am hungry to see his plan and his purposes fulfilled in the earth. Does that make sense? In my family, in my church, in the people around me, I want more of God everywhere all the time. And if I am hungry and I am thirsty for righteousness, I am also happy and I am also filled because God is more than willing to satisfy my hunger and my thirst. So that's the key there, is to stay hungry. As long as you're hungry, you're happy. And as long as you're hungry for God, you'll be satisfied because He alone can fill the deepest hunger of your soul. The Bible teaches that we have a spiritual appetite. As God's creatures who bear God's image, we have a spiritual appetite just like we have a physical appetite. Okay? And when we talk about spiritual hunger, it's often a metaphor for desire. But it's more than desire. It's a need. You need to eat. If you don't eat, you die. And not only do you need to eat today, you're going to need to eat later today, and you're going to need to eat tomorrow. You need to keep on eating. It's something that you have to continually do throughout your life. Now, I'm the only parent in this room, so I don't know if you, anyone here can relate to this, but my kids, sometimes they ask me for food, and I'm like, dude, you just ate yesterday, you know? And not only do they ask me for food, but they ask me for the particular kinds of food they like. They're not asking me for green beans, you know what I'm saying? They want candy, they want cookies, they want cereal, they want the stuff they like. And so, just as in the physical, you, you develop an appetite. Your, your, your digestive system gets accustomed to certain things, you know what I'm saying? So not only is food sustaining, but it's satisfying. Think of it, God could have made it so that the only food we ever needed was kale. Kale had every nutrient, you know, and all, we just ate kale like horses all day. Or everything we needed was in a pill. But no, God made food to be tasty. How many like food? It's, it's yummy. You can make recipes out of it. I think of that scene from Ratatouille when he got the heavy revy because he had, he, ate the, he had the strawberry and he had the cheese, but now he's going to get the strawberry and the cheese and then the fireworks go off and he realizes like, wow, you can do so much with this. You can make so many flavors, so many textures. You can have an experience with this stuff. It's not just to get you from one day to the next. You know what I'm saying? And so it's true also in the spiritual, that our spiritual hunger for God is reflective of a need, that if we do not have righteousness, as I described it, the things of God in our lives, we're going to die. But more than that, it's satisfying. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I want to share with you um, how we cultivate that spiritual hunger. Because we all have it. We all have a spiritual appetite. But many times we satisfy it with trash. And we satisfy it with subpar things. And that's why some of us are not hungry for God as we ought to be. And much like your physical diet affects your well-being, so your spiritual diet affects your spiritual well-being. Okay? So 
the, the way that you eat and exercise now will affect what you're like in 10, 20, 30 years. Does that make sense? And you can be healthy in 10, 20, 30 years, or you could be very unhealthy. Now, I'm very self-aware as I say that. I'm still young by the grace of God, and I can make good choices. Pray for me. Pray for me um, that, um, that I'll do that. But because I want to be there 30, 60 years down the line. I want to be, I want to be there to see my kids grow. I don't want to get my life and my calling cut short, right? But that has a lot to do with things I can control. What do I put in my body? Amen? Well, it's the same thing spiritually. That what you're doing right now, what you're putting in your spirit right now, whether in big doses or in small doses, will affect the person you are 10, 20, 30 years down the line. And just like with the physical diet, you only, it's, it's, it's something that you don't even notice. So, for example, if you had lunch today and you have a choice between something healthy and something not so healthy, let's say you have a choice to eat like, you know, a, 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 a big slice of pizza or a salad. You know what I'm saying? And you're, and you're consciously trying to eat better, so you want to, you know, you know you should have a salad, right? But you eat the piece of pizza. What you don't, and, and you go to bed and you feel the same, you wake up and you feel the same, and you look the same more or less, okay? You look the same more or less, but, and, and it would appear that nothing has changed, but if you keep making the choice over and over again to put that in your body, you're going to see over the course of time that a lot is changing in your body. Does that make sense? Same thing with the spirit. You put off prayer tonight. You say, I'm not going to pray before bed. I'm going to watch, um, I'm going to watch Game of Thrones, my stepping on toes. You know, a lot of people, a lot of Christians are crazy about that show. Anyway, say, I'm not going to do that. Now, am I going to fall into the pit of hell tonight? If I, if I skip prayer and I watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> Jack A., I know you're on it. I, I, I feel similar, but like, is that immediately going to happen? No, right? But over the course of time, what happens? What happens? Put off prayer. Little entertainment here, little little distraction here, little amusement there. You know what I'm saying? Put it off, put it off, put it off. What eventually happens? 10, 20, 30 years down the line, I'm a, I'm a million miles from God. I'm a million miles from my family. I'm a million miles from sanity, right? How subtle, how insidious it is that, you know, over time, um, you, you can see these effects in your spirit. And so I want to talk about some, some very practical points on this. But before I do, I want to lay the foundation that the Bible does teach of a spiritual appetite, a spiritual hunger that all of us have. As the old-time preachers used to say, there's a God-shaped hole in everybody's heart. And so we're all trying to satisfy a hole in our lives that only God can fill. Let's look at some of the passages that are in your notes. We'll start with Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 2. The prophet, speaking to the people of Israel, says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. So the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel, and they're at this 
crisis hour in their history where they're about to come under judgment. God has raised up Assyria. The Bible literally says God has made Assyria like a hammer in his hand, and he's going to use Assyria to crush Israel for their prolonged sin and stubbornness and hard-heartedness and idolatry. And yet in the midst of it, there's this invitation. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money. And he goes on in verse 2, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? So they're in pursuit of other things than God, things that do not satisfy, literally other gods, by the way. These were pagan, idolatrous people. Well, they were supposed to be the covenant people of God. They were supposed to worship Him exclusive, right? To be loyal, right? But they're running around with other gods. And you know why they're running around with those other gods? Because those other gods affirm them in their worldly pleasures. And yet they're so jacked up. They're so broken. You guys know people like that, don't you? Like, on, on, on the surface, they have it all. Like they, they live out the rap music video. You know what I'm saying? Maybe in your BC days, you looked up to them. But you know what a jacked up, paranoid mess they are. You know, you know how psychologically, how damaged they are. And they keep going to things that don't satisfy them. In fact, they do more harm than good. And this is what God is calling to the people. Leave your idols. Leave your sin. Leave worthless things that do nothing for you. And you're giving money to it, by the way, while I give you something that's free. And so there's this call. But again, he's using the, the word picture of, of, of food. He's talking about you, know, you being thirsty. He says, look, I got wine and milk here. Got wine and milk here, and that obviously is um, a picture of the deeper hunger and thirst of our souls that he would satisfy. But also in that Old, Old Testament context, I should point out, I'm just a stickler for, for accuracy, is, you know, he promised them, hey, if you keep my covenant, you'll live in the promised land, right? You'll have milk and honey, so there's that as well. So that you get the best of both worlds, Amen. You get your health, wealth, prosperity, and your spiritual blessings. Amen. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. This is uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means second law. This is after the 40 years of the wilderness. So the first law was given at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. Then after 40 years of Israel messing up like Aaron, okay, and that was Moses' brother. He did done mess up, didn't he? After 40 years of them messing up, being hard-hearted, he gives the second law. So it's the first law, but he had some, he had some stipulations to it. But he wants to remind them of their journeys up to this point. And he says, remember how the Lord your God led you on all, all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Part of the wilderness experience, part of the reason it took so long is it was a period of testing. God wanted to test their trust in Him, and God wanted to teach them to, uh, not only to trust in Him, but that every word... Um, Everything they need comes from him. And so he gave them what I call heavenly frosted flakes. 
You read the description of it. They're, they're like flakes on the ground. They, they have a sweet taste like honey. And so God would miraculously provide this food for them while they were in the wilderness. And then there would be quail as well. There'd be quail on the ground, and they would just scoop it up and eat it. And, that, and God would provide for them. And it was to show them, I'm your provider. I have everything you need. Okay? And it goes on later in that chapter to talk about the lesson he wants them to learn. Because when they get to the promised land, they're going to have it all. They're going to be bawling. How do I know that when you have things go your way, it can be easy to forget God? Prosperity can test you just as much as adversity. So when things go your way, you could forget God. You could be like, man, I'm, I'm sitting fat. I'm getting paid. I'm bawling. I'm pimping. Oh, who's God again? Oh, is this Sunday? You know what I'm saying? A tithe? Psh, you know what I'm saying? People will forget. How many know that? So people forget God and their prosperity. And their hearts turn away from them in arrogant pride. That lesson with the manna was to test them. To know that everything they needed was in God if they would look to Him. Next, let's look at Psalm 42, verses 1 through 4. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts. For God, for the living God, when can I go meet and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So he likens himself to a deer that is about to die from dehydration. And you know, like... Like food, you can go weeks. That's why some people do those, you know, 21-day, 40-day fast. You could go weeks without food. You could go days without water. And so you don't get water, you die. And he's feeling like, man, it has been days since I've been in God's presence. And I feel like I'm going to die here. Now, that is a, a good thing, believe it or not. Because there's people who go days, weeks, months without praying, without worshiping, without reading their word, and they don't feel no concern whatsoever. But he longs to go and go up to the temple and worship with God's people. That's his heart. How many of you love that? How many? That's the highlight of your week, to, to go to church, to worship with God's people, to hear his words. How many of you love worship? How many of you enjoy worship? How many of you feel dry, you feel discontent when you know, man, it's been too long? It's been too long, and you just show up like, Jesus, will you take me back? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it, I know it's been a while. I know I said I'd call you, Jesus. You know, right? But Because you know your heart knows something is amiss. Your heart knows something is amiss. Let's, let's read on. I have another passage here. I was going to give you John 6.48. John 6, 48 to 58. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Amen? Amen. God himself is our feast. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, I want to read another passage that comes a little bit before this in John 6, 26, because if you take this in isolation, you're going to have some Roman Catholics rubbing their hands and say, oh yeah, oh yeah. And if you know anything about Roman Catholicism, you know about transubstantiation. They believe that the priest, when he blesses the bread and the wine, it magically, I don't have another word but for that, it magically turns into the literal body and blood of Jesus. Now, there's a few problems with that. First of all, Jesus was there in flesh and blood right in front of them. And he wasn't standing there like, hey, dig it, boys. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't doing that. He was clearly speaking, uh, I don't want to say a metaphor, but he was speaking, as, giving us a spiritual word picture because he's, it's being compared with the manna. And it's also coming in the context of feeding the 5,000. The, the, he feeds the 5,000, and then a few days later, they're still following him around because they want more food. And they say, hey, you fed us like Moses fed them. And Jesus' point was, look, they ate the manna and died because the manna was physical nourishment. And that will only go so far because the flesh is, is going to die. It's going to run its course. And so he's talking about a spiritual nourishment by which you will live and never die. By the way, that would be another defeat of Roman Catholicism because you could take the Eucharist a thousand times and still end up in hell for some menial or mortal sin that you may have done. And so it doesn't bring eternal life. But what I want to show you is in uh, verse uh, 26 of the same chapter. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, for the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So for Jesus, it was believing in him. It was coming to him. And that is the way that we get the spiritual nourishment we truly need, not by a magic cracker and a magic cup of juice. I don't want to belittle it, but the, it, it really is... I, I won't belittle the real thing. We love communion, right? But we understand it is a memorial. Do this in remembrance of me. The idea that a priest can bless it and turn these things magically into other things is silly. But I don't want to just give an apologetic uh, against that heretical belief, because they are... And it is heretical. It's not just that we disagree. It is they're sacrificing him again and again and again every time they do Mass. But, but the point is, to, is that this, Jesus brings spiritual nourishment, where the manna will bring you physical nourishment, but you'll eat it and you'll get hungry again and you'll still eventually die. Jesus 
brings you nourishment that satisfies you forever. Amen? Let's look at Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to have been teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So again, you have the, the word picture of food being used, and it represents maturity. Babies drink milk. Adults eat solid food. It's a mark of maturity. But what is he talking about here? Is he talking about baby Christians, they drink milk from a cup, and then when they, when they graduate 101, they get to, you know, you know what I'm saying, they get to have a peanut butter jelly? What is he talking about here? What is the milk to the solid food? What does it represent, folks? Come on. Come on, students. It represents maturity, but he's talking about the teaching. You have to read it in the broader context. Look at, it, uh, look at Hebrews 5, in fact. I'll have you turn there. In fact, look at chapter 6 because it, it continues right into there. Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instructions about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So he wants the people to move forward from elementary teachings, but they still haven't grasped it. They haven't understood it. And so he has to keep giving them the milk, giving them the milk. How many of you experienced that with some of your disciples? Like, they still don't get the basics. Live holy, you know, keep your, keep your hands to yourself, you know what I'm saying? Uh, don't cuss, don't chew, don't hang with those that do. Don't watch Game of Thrones, <clears throat> You know, and like, and, and, and you deacons, if you've had, if you've had 101ers, you know that like, man, how many times have I had to tell this person the same elementary teaching again and again, and we can't move on to deeper stuff. They you know, like Pastor Joe was saying yesterday, they can't be leading because they're still bleeding. They ought to be doing stuff for the Lord right now, but they're still have, they still haven't got the basics down of Christian living and understanding the basic faith. You know what's fascinating here is that is that the um, the elementary teachings consist of repentance from acts that lead to death. They haven't figured that out, but you, a lot of teachers aren't even teaching that. You know what I'm saying? They're not even teaching repentance. So they're if 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 that's milk, what what, what a lot of pastors are talking about today is formula. You know. Anywho, last verse here. Psalm 23, verses 5 and 6, we all know this great psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. 
In verse 5 it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to make a powerful point here that not only are we feasting on God, on His Word, on Christ, but we're feasting with God. We're having a table with Him. In the ancient world, breaking bread, sitting at the same table was a sign of covenant. That's why you see that Jews would not eat with Gentiles, because we're not the same people. We're not the same people. I was even reading Genesis uh, just the other day, and it said that the Egyptians would not eat with the Hebrews, because we're not the same people. But God has set a table before us, amen? And God wants to feast with us, and God wants to fellowship with us. And so there has to be a sense where we are enjoying God. We are fellowshipping with God, amen, in our, in our lives. Now, I've laid a foundation. There's actually tons more passages as I was researching this. There's tons more. I haven't gotten to the woman at the well where Jesus talks about living water. Or where he later on says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I haven't gotten to that yet. I, haven't, I, I quoted it in passing, but I haven't gotten to taste and see that the Lord is good, you know. Um, or, or, or that his word is like honey. You know, we could go on and on and on. You get this? This is a biblical concept. You have a spiritual appetite. Amen? And it needs to be satisfied with God. Now, I'm going to go all in with this whole analogy of like diet and health. But I'm going to keep it practical and I'm going to keep it biblical. You guys see the points here in your notes. How to cultivate a spiritual appetite. How to cultivate a spiritual appetite. Number one, get the junk food out. What you feed on is reflected in what gets the most of your time and attention. Therefore, minimize the time you devote to idle entertainment and feed on things that build up your mind and spirit. This weekend, if you're a nerd, this past weekend was apparently a big weekend. I just saw a meme kind of putting it into perspective because you had Avengers Endgame coming out and then you had the Game of Thrones, which, which again, I'm just with the latter. I don't know how any Christian could watch that in good conscience. But then somebody might say, well, why are you watching Avengers? And they, they might bring up some stuff as well. I don't want to get legalistic here. Uh, but, but anyway, you have... This one epic event of this movie, right? And then you have this epic TV show. And so what are, what are a lot of people going to do that this, this past weekend? Or what, what, what did they do this past weekend? They spent three hours watching the movie. They spent like one hour watching this, the show. And then up until that time, what, was their, what were their thoughts fixed on? Anticipating the movie and anticipating the show. Then after the movie, they're talking about the movie. Then after the show, they're talking about the show. So you've effectively given hours and hours of one weekend to a pure entertainment. And then we do it also every football season because you have, you have, tw- you have three, three games on in a given day. Well, multiple games, but there's three sp- slots. So you could watch nine hours of football straight during the football season. And I get convicted about that as well because I'm a fan of, you know, the Packers and everybody has their team. And, but sometimes, like, I get, the, the reason I get convicted is because, like, I'll wake up thinking about it. You guys know that song, Be Thou My Vision? It, it says, Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. 
And what you wake up thinking about, what you go to bed thinking about, that says a lot about you. It says a lot about what you've been filling your mind with throughout the day in between. And so you're feeding your mind. You know what the word amusement means? To muse means to think deeply. The prefix ah, a, mean, is the negation. So like an atheist is, is, is the negation of a theist, right? So amusement is to not think deeply, is a distraction. Am I against entertainment? No. I saw Endgame. It was great. Uh, I'll give you spoilers at the end. <laughs> right? I'm not against that. This is not a call to legalism, but it's a call to discipline. And it's a call to spirit-led living, to minimize things that really add nothing to you. In the grand scheme of eternity, that movie will be forgotten. In the grand scheme of eternity, all the things we spend so much time on will be absolutely worthless trash. Trash. As glamorous and as beautiful as it is now, it will all be trash. Right? Every Super Bowl trophy of your team, trash. Worthless. Empty. Void. And yet, why are we not hungry for God? Because we're full of the things of this world, aren't we? Many Christians full of entertainment. It said that in the, in the 1040 window, the, the unbelieving world kills the body through persecution. But in our world, they kill the soul through distraction. They kill the soul through pleasures to distract us and to take us away from, from uh, God's mission for us. So we need to get the junk food out. Look at Psalm 101, verse 3. It says, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. And in other translations, it will read something to the effect of, in fact, you might find it in the uh, ESV, because it will say worthless. He says, I will put no worthless thing before me. And isn't that what we do all the time? Worthless thing. Right? Worthless thing right before me. Cat videos or whatever. All day. Hours of worthless things before us. And it's a time management issue, it's a heart issue, it's a hunger issue. Put no worthless thing before me. Yes, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless, empty. I believe the word here in Hebrew, I don't know if you're able to hover over it, if the word is kebel, is it? Are you able to see the transliteration um, or hebel? Without substance. Where's the transliteration of it, though? All I see is the Hebrew characters. I can't make that out. Okay, that's a different word. I was thinking it was the word for vanity that's used in Ecclesiastes, but apparently it's not. Um, vanity meaning emptiness. Um, but, it, but anyway, you, you still get the point from the passage. And, and the interesting word is without substance. We need to cut out the junk food, put things before us that edify our minds and our spirits. And... Primarily, that is, you know, godly things, you know, reading your word, listening to sermons and stuff like that. 
But also, I would say there's constructive things. I have a friend, he, he, um, he lives in uh, South Korea now, but he used to talk about having a university on wheels because he was always listening to like lectures and podcasts and stuff in his car everywhere he'd go because he did a lot of appointments going from place to place, spent a lot of time there. And so he would maximize the time by having that stuff in his car. So he's listening to, you know, he's driving, but then he's like learning French from this podcast or he's learning how to, you, you know what I'm saying? You can learn, learning various skills. There's leadership podcasts. There's all sorts of things. So there's things that build up the mind and the spirit as opposed to junk food, which adds nothing to you. Okay, next thing is refine your palate. Refine your palate. In this day of Christian bestsellers and YouTube sensations, it is hard to know the difference between milk and meat. Today's most popular preachers are serving up Christian candy to pacify the immature and keep them coming back for more. But mature disciples want nothing less than true manna, to be taught, corrected, rebuked, encouraged, and trained in righteousness according to God-breathed Scripture. So for you, those of you listening online, I'm going to get real personal here because I've taught with SUM. I've met a lot of students at Mardi Gras. I track with y'all on social media, and I just get grieved at some of the preachers y'all share. Let me just say that. Like, I'm, that's, that's the milk I'm talking about. That's the formula I'm talking about. It's a lot of self-help nonsense with a sprinkling of, Christ, uh, of, of, of Scripture on top of it just to make it look Christian. But they ain't saying nothing that Tony Robbins ain't saying about how to make it, about how to get over yourself. And Pastor Joe's uh, banged on that drum a lot because they always have Christians in this same place. Like, you're just a helpless bleeding woman, you're the deaf man, you're the, you know, the mute person, you're the demoniac, you're always in this place of struggle, you're always in this place of brokenness. And then we find out some of these pastors themselves are in that place of brokenness, no wonder. And so you need to really check what you're taking in. Not all that glitters is gold. I'm saying, okay, now that we got through one filter, all the worldly stuff. Well, let's start here. We're not looking at glorified porn in Game of Thrones. That's level one. Amen? Now we're not consuming hours and hours and hours every week on entertainment. That's not bad, but it's not edifying either. That's level two, right? We're, we're, we're disciplined in that area. Not saying we don't watch it at all, but we're disciplined. Now let level three, okay, let's, let's see what the Christian sphere is up to. Let's see what Christians are putting out there. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you got to make it. You go make it. You may be on Struggle Boulevard. You know what I'm saying? You may have committed adultery last week, but you're going to make it. Okay. All right. We need to go another level now. We need to go another level now, and we need to start making distinctions between who are, who are going to be our heroes of the faith and who are going to be people that add nothing to us. Add nothing to us. I'll tell you what. T.D. Jake's videos add as much to me as Avengers Endgame does, spiritually. Be real with you. Because for one, he's a modalist. Two, he's giving uh, a dating advice to fornicators on Oprah Winfrey Network. He adds nothing to me. I don't, I don't, want, I don't care about anything he has to say. I'm going to be real with you. He adds nothing to me. So who do I want to go to? Who are the heroes of the faith? Well, we want to look for two things. Amen? Sound doctrine and an example of godliness. Sound doctrine and example of godliness. And this is, we could go on and on all day, but I definitely will encourage feeding 
through the listening to sermons, sermonindex.net has a lot of good ones. Guys like Leonard Ravenhill, David Wilkerson, Paul Washer. Even though there may be people they may not agree with us on every point of doctrine, like Paul Washer, a Calvinist, I would take him any day over the Christian candy shop. Amen? Because I don't want to get diabetes. Right? So, so you go there. You go to the heroes of the faith, the Steve Hills, the Lester Summerall's. You even go further back to the William Booths and the John Wesleys, and you read the stuff they wrote. And I encourage you guys to read books. Always be in a book. I made it a point since I graduated school to always be in a book, um, to always have a book in front of me at some point, something that I'm in the middle of, um, because I want to continue learning and growing from from heroes of the faith, from great men and women who have come before me. Okay, third thing is, and by the way, the second Timothy passage says it all. You see that highlighted there. Um, in fact, that's worth looking at. Let's just look at that as we talk about refining the palate. Second Timothy 3.16. Okay. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what do we need? What is going to spiritually nourish us? Scripture. Not human wisdom. Not human psychology. Not marketing schemes. You know what I'm saying? Not human self-help. The Word of God is sufficient to build us up to do everything we need to do. He continues into chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, the spiritual candy, spiritual num-nums that are of no nutritional value to them. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. How much clearer can it be? Contrasted, the, the sound and trustworthy teaching of Scripture versus people who want to itch your ears. How many know Scripture doesn't always line up with what people want and what people think and what people value? And so you got to get around Scripture in order to make everybody happy. Amen. You can't preach the Bible and make everybody happy. You'd have to get around it somehow if you want to draw a crowd that big. And so we need to be very careful what we're taking in, even when we're talking about Christian stuff. Okay? Nowadays, let's be careful. Number three. See, I'm go this is where I really go all in with the health analogy. Find a personal health coach. Uh, what I'm talking about is a pastor. <laughs> talking about a mentor. I'm talking about a disciple-er. That makes sense? We are not meant to live the Christian life alone. We must do so in the company of others who share our heart to serve the Lord. This includes peers who serve alongside you and leaders who have moral and spiritual authority over you. 
men and women like these can hold you accountable to the diet and disciplines of a Christ follower, lifting you up when you are down, correcting you when you are off, and pushing you further than you could ever go on your own. So up until this point, we've been talking about various ways we can feed ourselves. Um, a scripture is, is obvious, but I was talking more about the sermons, the, the books you can read from other Christian leaders and authors and so on and so forth. But we know that a podcast is not a pastor. A podcast can't rebuke you. It can say something and it can be mildly challenging to you, but it's different than somebody you know and respect getting up in your face and in your business. You know what I'm saying? It's different than that. And some people will be glad to watch church on the computer. They'll be glad to watch church on TV. They'll be glad to have Christ, Christianity without the church because that's basically what they're doing, but because it lacks accountability. And so when you are doing life with other people, you are being held accountable to the standard. I've heard it put like this. Accountability is not only when you have like one person in your life who's, you know, like a pastor or a leader, but it's when you're in a community, right? When you're in a community and there's a standard in that community, all right? So let's say you're in the CrossFit community and you're showing up with a bag of Doritos and stuff like that. And, you know, like you're not going to fit into that community. You're not going to like that community. You're going to run away from that community if you want to just keep eating Doritos and doing you. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Okay. And so, you know, any community you find yourself in, you're going to find, okay, these are the things the community values. This is the standard of the community. What is the community of Christ? What are the diets and disciplines of this community, the spiritual diets and disciplines, that is? Well, we're people of prayer, people of worship. We're people of purity and integrity. And if you don't want that, you're not going to feel very comfortable in the community. And any church that allows you to feel comfortable in that is doing a very bad job. And so you need people around you. I don't know where I'd be without discipleship, folks. I might be saved because I'm saved by grace through faith. But you guys don't know me 11 years ago. I was a weirdy. Back row, rocking in my chair. <laughs> I'm rocking in my chair. Like, I'm saved. You hear me? I'm saved. But I'm like... Yes, Lord, just yes, Lord, you know. I'm just like, I'm all zeal and no wisdom. With a hint of weird. I'm not husband material. I'm not pastor material. And anybody who sees me would not, would not think anything of me. Like, man, that guy's a weirdy. Maybe we'll let him, uh, park, maybe we'll let him you know, direct cars into the parking lot. But, you know, it took somebody investing. It took somebody carrying me. It took somebody like a coach, like a personal trainer to hold me to a standard and, and to help me to be the person I knew I could be by God's grace. Okay, number four, learn how to feed yourself. The mark of maturity, both in the natural and in the spiritual, is to know how and what to feed oneself. Babies need bottles and spoon feedings and left to their own devices. Toddlers will be eating nothing but sugary cereal they spilled all over the floor. But mature adults are expected to prepare their own meals and make wise decisions concerning their diet. That's one of the many things we call adulting. I did meal prep this week. Well, y'all better than me. I need a meal prep. Anyway, 
Similarly, the Christian must not solely rely on others for their spiritual sustenance. They must learn to go into their closets, pray to the Father, enter His presence through worship, be filled with His Spirit, and hear Him speak through His Word. This is vital, folks. Let's look at a few passages that spell this out. First, in the life of Jesus, look at Mark one thirty-five. In the life of Jesus, we know that he was very busy and very important. Amen? Is anyone here more busy and important than Jesus was? Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for them, for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. That was a day in the life of Jesus. Everyone's looking for him. Hey, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. There's a whole crowd of people with demons. We need your help. And so what does he have to do in order to prioritize personal prayer? He got it in with the Lord. He was the God man. He was the perfect man. Amen, ladies? He is the perfect man. And as the perfect man, he lives in reliance upon God. Amen? He must have daily communication with God his Father, private. And so not only did he teach it, but... Not only did he live it, but then he taught it. We see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, that Jesus teaches us to, to pray in private. It's wonderful to pray in the company of other believers, to go to church, to have corporate worship and things like that. It's wonderful to be able to listen to a sermon and be edified by that or to read a Christian book. But this is probably the most important thing. Like if you didn't have sermon podcast to listen to you you would be cool but if you didn't if you didn't get it in with God every day you would die on the vine Matthew 6 5 through 8 and when you pray do not be like hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and street corners to be seen by others truly I tell you they have received their reward in full but when you pray go to your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you I'm going to pause right there. Go into your room. This is where we get the idea of a prayer closet. Find a private place where it's just you and him. It has to be daily. And so this is where the feasting takes place, folks. This is where the worship is a feast for your soul. This is where reading the word is nourishing to you, giving life to you. And that's where you're going to learn to feed yourself so you're not just, you know, blowing in every Sunday hoping for pastor to give you a pick-me-up and, 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 and waiting for somebody to ask you how you're doing. Like you can have the conviction, you can have wisdom, you can have the fear of God in you to where you're not always dependent on others to prop you up. Last thing, and I think this is vitally important, don't work hungry. It is the pitfall of many preachers to work for God as servants, but not enjoy God as sons. 
They enter ministry with a great love for God, but in time the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth stifle their passion until it is no more. Many we know of who have experienced breakdowns, burnouts, and backslidings had been preaching on empty spirits for months and even years prior to their dramatic collapse. The great deception in all this is that one can experience ministry success on the basis of their spiritual gifts and talents as well as worldly marketing strategies. They can think God was pleased with them based on outward measures, but inwardly are empty, devoid of the faith and holy fear they proclaim to others. And that's to bring it full circle to all those horror stories that we hear of people who fail and burn out. Everybody starts their race well. Just like a wedding. Nobody on their wedding day is saying, you know, we'll try. There's, it may or may not work. If we divorce, we divorce, whatever, you know. It, it is what it is. Nobody goes into a wedding thinking that. Uh, you, you know, nobody answers the call of ministry thinking that. I'm going to lose my first, I'm going to not lose, but I'm going to leave my first love. And I'm going to plunge headlong into all the insanity that the devil has to offer. I mean, you hear the stuff that pastors do, sleeping with men, sleeping with little kids, sleep, you know, doing drugs, prostitution, suicide, all this stuff. How do they ever get there? And I can't help but think that ministry has become an idol to them. It's become like it's become the, the end goal for them. I gotta have a big ministry, I gotta have success. And so when they see the success, they feel, they feel great. They feel like they're doing things well, like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. I'm doing everything I set out to do in Bible college, but why do I feel so dry? Why do I feel so empty? Why am I so broken? Why, can't, why am I so bitter? Why can't I get over things? Why am I so hurt? And you hear pastors getting sabbaticals. Um, a friend of a friend, he had to go on a sabbatical. It was for several months because he was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. This is a, a, a friend of Pastor Joe's. And he said, you know, what I learned in that sabbatical was that I need to have quantity and quality time with Jesus. Elementary teachings. Elementary teachings. He had to be in ministry years and be on the verge of a breakdown. And go on a six-month sabbatical to learn elementary teachings. Be alone with God every day. Be alone with God every day because you have a God-shaped whole ministry won't fill it. It's not enough. Family won't fill it. Friends won't fill it. Hobbies won't fill it. Fashion won't fill it. The things of this world will not fill it. It will leave you dry. But praise God, He will always satisfy. In closing, we'll actually get out a little early today. Let's look at Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Do the things of God get you more excited than the things of this world? 
Does his righteousness satisfy you like the richest of food? Because again, we all like food. Like we're going to your favorite restaurant, you know what you're getting. You know? And that gets, yeah, yeah, yeah. What if God says, hey, hey, cancel those plans. Come meet with me. Do you think you're missing out? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for the plans and purposes of God fulfilled in this world? So that you get excited about revival. You get excited about souls being one. You get excited about lives being changed. You get excited about missions. About the, you know what I'm saying? That stuff gets you up. That's one of the, the things about Pastor Joe. Like that's the, He's an example in so many ways to me. But the fact that he just dreams of Soldier Field being filled up with that. I mean, and I'm just waking up and I'm, th- I'm thinking about actual football going on there. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and there he is. His heart is just always so full with dreams and hopes and visions for God. Because his heart is so after him. Do we get as excited at that prospect as we do for the, for the movie that came out last weekend? Or for whatever else that we have coming up? You know what I'm saying? Well, let's all stand up. When I was doing research, I found this uh, hymn. It was written by a Catholic, but I liked the words. I found out after the fact, and then I could kind of read between the lines. But I think it would be appropriate for a Christian to sing. I just, I just came across it, so I don't know the words yet. I, don't know the, I, knew, I see the words here, but I don't know the melody. I don't have that down yet. But I love these, I love these words here. You satisfy the hungry heart with the gift of finest wheat. Come give to us, O saving Lord, the breath of life to eat. And when the shepherd calls his sheep, they know and heed his voice. So when you call your family, Lord, we follow and rejoice. You satisfy the hungry heart with gift of finest wheat. Come give to us, O saving Lord, the breath of life to eat. With joyful lips we sing to you our praise and gratitude that you should count us worthy, Lord, to share this heavenly food. You satisfy the hungry heart with gift of finest wheat. Come come give to us, O saving Lord, the bread of life to eat. Is not the cup we bless and share the blood of Christ outpoured? Does not one cup, one loaf declare the oneness of our Lord or our oneness in the Lord? You satisfy the hungry heart with gift of finest wheat. Come to give to us, O saving Lord, the breath of life to eat. The mystery of your presence, Lord, no mortal tongue can tell. Whom all the world cannot contain comes in our hearts to dwell. Amen. So we have found in you, Lord, one who satisfies the longing of our heart. Even the, even the composer, Sebastian Bach, entitled one of his pieces, Christ, the Joy of Man's Desiring. Lord God Almighty, we, we stay hungry for you. May our spiritual appetites be, be so uh, enamored with you, Lord. We have tasted and seen that you, we, you are good, and we want more. And Lord, as we hunger and thirst and we ask for more, give us more. Satisfy us all the days of our lives with your unfailing love. Satisfy us with your presence. Nourish us with your word, Lord. May we feed on your goodness all the days of our life. Even as Lawrence said with those great songs, the, the great song choices, that you're never going to leave us dry. But he, he said to think about one thing we lack, and I, and I can't think of anything. Lord, in you I have everything. 
Lord, so many out there th think they're empty. They think they're alone. But they don't know that the fullness, and they don't know that a friend closer than a brother is right there at hand. Even pastors don't know that, Lord. May that never be said of us. May we never feel empty. May we never feel alone. May we always be filled. May we always have in you a friend. We love you. We bless you. We pray, Lord, that each of us will have perseverance, fruitfulness, and satisfaction all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.